Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. Hello and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and today my guest is Blue McCauley. Blue is a music producer, songwriter, and solo artist who has been working in the industry for almost 25 years. He's worked with a wide range of artists, including Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, Hanson, and the Jonas Brothers, and several of his songs have been featured in TV shows and advertisements for well-known companies. Recently, he worked on the score for the Oscar De La Hoya documentary, The Golden Boy, which will be out this July on HBO and Max. I first heard about Blue when I learned he was going to be one of the opening acts for Toad the Wet Sprocket's 2003 reunion tour. The moment I heard the opening riff to the song, Won't Go Hollywood, I was hooked and have been a fan ever since. This is not the first time he and I have talked, however. In 2009, I had the privilege of interviewing him for a now defunct website. And in 2013, I got to record drums on one of his songs as a reward for backing his album To Hell With You. But in the decades since that recording session, Blue's career has evolved to be more of a songwriter and producer, and more importantly, he is the father to a four-year-old son. Thus, I wanted to get him on the show and talk about the changes he's had in his career and life since we last spoke. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Blue. Welcome to Dad Rocks. Thank you. It's like to be here. How have things been going for you lately? I know I don't know if you remember. Uh, we I came up to your uh, I think Ducky's place up in Boston uh, and we recorded uh, something for your Redhead Record Club. But I know you in that decade since you've been a very busy man. So how are things been going for you lately? I mean, good. Staying busy. Definitely um, have been excited about this new adventure of scoring these documentary. Uh, films. Um, I'm actually at my place uh, in La Quinta right now doing a little retreat for one of the films that I'm working on. Um, I'm working on two right now with my composing partner, Ryan Perez Dapple, um, who I've been working with for a long time, uh, both through Universal Production Music. And we had a band briefly called Coach and Graf that mm. put out a couple of singles. Oh, yes. And actually, we have a, a bunch of singles that we never put out that I think are really good that we, we are always talking about maybe releasing those at some point too. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on two right now. Both don't have official titles, but, um, they're both also going to be on HBO and max or uh, either or, or both. I guess they all are on max only some okay. some are also on HBO I guess is how it works yeah, um, yeah I think that's so yeah I think one of these is is gonna be on HBO and one of them's just on max I'm not sure but um but anyway yeah so it's 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 been really fun it's totally new adventure I'm I'm kind of uh, trying to do it in a, a different a little bit different way um, than I think a lot of people approach it which um, has been fun and yeah i don't know it's i 
You know, I was I was doing a lot of K-pop and and pitching for Sync before I started doing more of this documentary stuff. And something about this feels to me a little bit more like making records, which I was missing because mm-hmm. you're you're working on a project for a longer period of time, and there's a lot of material, and you kind of have space to explore, and some things end up on the cutting room floor. You know, and, and, and but that leads you to ideas, you know, uh, for things that turn out great. And um, so, yeah, that I really I really in, am enjoying that aspect of it, that it's getting to work on more meaty <laughs> projects. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. And, you know, how have you or how did you get into this area of the music industry? You know, from writing, you know, pops tunes to now scoring, um, you know, these films. Well, it's something that I had always it's something that I had always wanted to do. And I I love documentaries, always kind of have loved documentaries Mm -hmm. Um, and just film, you know, in in general. I mean, not that that's some rare thing necessarily, but um, it, it was something I always kind of wanted to get involved in and I and I was you know I, I worked many years ago on this Disney film The Legend of the Never Beast which was the last right. of the Tinkerbell um series really great movie if people haven't seen it and actually the, the music's really good um and I, I got to work um alongside the composer um and a, another good buddy of mine Joe Siders we were kind of worked on it together with him and um you know so the stuff we did is in almost every cue of the movie and then of course i worked on the songs producing all the songs and writing um two of the songs i did a duet with uh, kt tunstall mm-hmm. on that and it, it was a great experience and i i i kind of hoped that i would get an opportunity to work on more films after that which to a certain degree i did but it was more kind of like television stuff and and it was, you know, more about writing songs than doing score stuff. And I kind of knew I didn't want to do more traditional score stuff. And that's kind of what had happened on that Never Beast movie was I was sort of responsible for all the non-traditional things that were happening right, yeah, on right. it. Um, but um, long story short, this opportunity came along and actually... Um, the guy who's a good longtime friend of mine, studio partner, I mentioned him before, Ryan Perez Dapple. Um, he kind of recommended me for um, this project, and I did a pitch for it and ended up getting it and uh, worked a little bit with Ryan on that um, and uh, another guy. And it, it was so, yeah, that it was somewhat random but really not random in that like I kind of threw myself into it and I was excited about the opportunity and and had had thought a lot about what an opportunity like that might look like it if it ever came along if that makes sense you know they say right. preparedness is half mm-hmm. of opportunity I'm not getting that quote right but <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was something something kind of like that and uh, and, you know, yeah. that one led to another one and, you know, so on and so forth. What are the big differences between, you know, doing something like this and even collaborating with someone on the, you know, 
the compositions and, and the school for the score uh, versus working with like a solo artist or bands who you're writing for? Or is it pretty similar? There are definitely things that are similar about it. And there are things that are totally dissimilar about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously when you're working on a, a song, it doesn't even matter who it's for or, or a production or writing a song or whatever. The, the medium is the song, you know, (laughs) whereas, you know, when you're working on music for a movie and this like goes without saying, but the, the medium is the movie. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a pretty big fundamental difference, you know, what you're doing is there to service the movie. And, and, um, so you know, the way that you're writing and, and the type of stuff that you're writing has to serve that story and uh, the story, you know, that the director is trying to tell. Um, mm. Rather than, you know, obviously just trying to tell the story of the artist or just tell a good story or whatever it happens to be mm. through the song. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's... A, Obviously, there's a lot of detail kind of under that, but that's mm-hmm. the the base, right. <laughs> you know, difference. But yeah. that's that's what's fun about it, you know, because you're collaborating right. with other talented people in a different medium, you know. And you're collaborating with the the media itself rather than just the it, artist. Totally, themselves. and it's and it's also like you know when it's good, it's like it's just it's fun to see it come alive, you know? Right. I mean, I think of how many movies the soundtrack literally makes the movie. Like, you know, Gar- like I look back at like, you know, you know, you could say Saturday Night Fever and stuff like that. But even more recently, Guardians of the Galaxy, granted, it was just more of a soundtrack. Like that first Guardians of the Galaxy, I think part of the reason why it was so good was the soundtrack that, you know, that they put together. And granted, that wasn't an original score, but still the way that the music enhanced the movie and made it, you know, much more enjoyable. And I think it is an important, you know, aspect to any film that that goes out there. Absolutely. And, you know, I think maybe even especially in in documentaries, the the score, you know, well, it really is true for for any film. Um, You know, the, the way that the score interacts with the film is is uh is making you feel a lot of the emotion whether you're aware of it or not and you're looking back on your 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 records your solo records did you do any of the scoring for string parts that you may have had in uh some of the songs or or is the you know the aspect of you know more orchestration come been something you've been doing more recently i mean it's both um certainly you know there are i would say some very noticeable examples such as the opening of to hell with you that i did not do um uh, a, a really good friend of mine who i still collaborate with a lot um steve scott he did that um, and but it was really cool because we recorded everything real. So it's 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 real strings. Um, mm-hmm. He was able to work with some real orchestral percussion um, and real real vocals. And I got real. I forget what 
exactly what the arrangement was, but I got real brass players and mm-hmm. um, I think there might have even been a, one woodwind in there or something. Anyway, um, um, on, on some of my earlier records, I would say most notably a watched pot, a good old friend named uh, Steve and Lou uh, did a lot of the string arrangements for that. But I've done you know some of the string arrangements as well. But th- those are two people, um, the two Steves, so to speak, that I, <laughs> I worked with a, a whole lot over the years um, and learned a lot from them. And um, a lot of times when I did other people's records, I would, you know, do more of the arranging. But I don't know. You know, when you're a self, a long time self-produced artist like I am. Right. Um, even though... I could do all the string arrangements and like I would probably be doing more of that if it was somebody else's record. Like a lot of times when it's my record, I like for somebody else to do it because it, then it's like, there's more of a surprise, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like collaborative. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard to be surprised when you're like, producing all of your own records but like if you have somebody else do this like really cool string arrangement then it's plus it's one less thing you have to do absolutely absolutely (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah and and um i i actually got a a really cool opportunity coming up through ryan uh who i keep mentioning ryan perez dapple and um he is uh, he works for Universal Production Music, has for many years, and I've done a lot of records for them. Uh, and he's doing a cool uh, sort of a acoustic record with strings, and he's going to record a um, full string orchestra, like, you know, almost 50-piece string orchestra in wow. Budapest for that record. So actually, that's what I was working on yesterday was was writing and, and uh, at least getting the demo stuff down uh for for those two songs so uh, i'm i'm debating on those two whether i'm I'm gonna (laughs) try to do the string arrangements myself or not obviously it's an exciting opportunity because i don't get to work with uh you know big orchestras like that very often um but uh on the other hand i'm you know i'm my, my plate is quite full right now so yeah and again, it might be a nice surprise to <laughs> to have somebody else, you know, work yeah. on it. Can come, it can go, and you just know. It can go, it can come, and you just understand. I've been a big fan of yours uh, since 2003 when I first heard about you when you opened for Toad the Wet Sprocket on their first reunion tour uh, back then. And, you know, I've been following you ever since. So I've seen your career evolve from being, you know, a recording and touring musician to now a writer and producer and, you know, a ranger. Was this always the trajectory you had planned out for yourself or is this something that just kind of evolved? I mean, it's a little bit of both. You know, when I was heavily, you know, involved in, in my artist c- 
career, my kind of like early artist days, even then I like wanted to produce other records and produce other people. Um, and, and, and was, uh, I mean, I, I really produced my first, um, kind of full record for somebody else, uh, in the van for my keyboard player, um, John Cutler. Uh, good, yep. I remember him. Good, yeah. Really nice yeah, guy. Good, good friend from high school. Um, and, uh, Again, like you know, even at that time, I was like, I was like, hey, you're you're really good. Your songs are cool. Like, let <laughs> let me help you make a record. And it's like, well, we're touring. How are we going to do that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, they the, the very first M box had just come out at that time, so I'm like, you know, it's kind of portable. I think we could do it. And uh, and we and we did. And like on tour stops, you know, we would try to take an opportunity yeah. to like record a real piano or, um, you know, whatever here and there. And uh, it's still a pretty cool record, I think, you know, um, it, it, it has a little bit of a homemade feel to it, but not necessarily in a bad way. So, um, yeah, I, it, it was always in the back of my mind that I was going to certainly write and produce for other artists. Um, but you also kind of, as things go along, especially as a musician, you have to like kind of chase the opportunities. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least, you know, uh, at at my kind of like journeyman level. Um, and so, you know, chasing the opportunities kind of leads you sometimes in some some weird directions that you wouldn't necessarily have expected. I I've always tried to kind of stay open as well. Like I, I never I never was the kind of person that was like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I would never do that or, mm -hmm. you know, that right. kind of thing. Um, so I think that has, has kind of helped lead me in some interesting directions um, that maybe I never quite imagined, you know, for myself. What were some of the most impactful, you know, events that happened that kind of pushed you or like kind of that you, you know, the doors that, that kind of opened for you that, that helped you get to where you are right now? Um. That's a really good question. I guess I've never really thought about it that that way specifically, but um, I mean, certainly getting signed to Aware Records and then you know having the record come out on Columbia, you know that that was a big deal. It kind of like, irregardless of how well the record does, and mine didn't mm -hmm. do well. Um, you know, commercially, which is a shame because because it's a great record. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it, it certainly has its fans, but um, but you know, it, it just because it came out on a major label, it, it got more exposure and and it kind of legitimized what I was doing. And I think the fact that it's not like a super normal record. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, very unique for that time, especially. Yeah, I think, uh, and it's really like, it's kind of like all over the place, almost like, you know, this like um, pastiche, like from song <laughs> to song, you know. Right. Um, I, I think that, you know, definitely that opened doors, just um, mm. for sure. Um, and then, you know, there were some early opportunities that 
kind of led to more things like like um you know i mean my my earliest cuts were with this um guy out of boston named martin johnson uh who whose band name is boys like girls mm-hmm. um and that that was one of my first times like writing with somebody else you know specifically for the purpose of like trying to get a cut on a like major label record mm-hmm. or whatever and um and then i worked with Han- hansen as well at their um their very first like kind of writing retreat of which they've Hmm. you know subsequently done many over the years where they would bring together a bunch of artists basically that they were fans of um or that people they knew were fans of or whatever who all came together to write and i I ended up getting a couple of hansen cuts and and but yeah you know I, i i i do have to thank those people and those cuts for you know again it just once you have done that a couple of times then people are like, oh, well, he's he, he must do that. Or, or, or you know, mm-hmm. he must, uh, you know, yeah. he must at least be a person that we could like, you know, throw in the mix. Um, so that was and then, you know, John Fields was one of the, you know, he's kind of a, a mentor of mine. He produced my major label record and then the follow up, which, um, you know, I got dropped. And the record, yeah, yeah, didn't come out, and then it took years to finally get it back. But he produced that record as well, a watch pot, aptly named. Um, but um, he he really, if I'm really thinking about it, I mean, he really probably opened up some of the biggest doors for me because he hmm. he believed, I think, that I could be a producer. I was like hyper interested, not just in making a good record, but in how he was making it, you know, what he was doing and all that kind of stuff. And and he he took the time to show me. And I mean, he's the one who, like said, get a laptop, get an inbox. I'll show you mm-hmm. how to use it. Like, it's this new thing. Like, you can, like, just carry it around and record anywhere. Like, it's amazing. You'll be able to. And that's, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I, I have to give him an enormous amount of credit. And then he, he encouraged me to move to Los Angeles, which I did eventually. And, um, and then pulled me into songwriting sessions, you know, so that he could kind of concentrate more on the production, even though obviously he was a co-writer as well. And that, um, led to my first like big cut, which was with the Jonas brothers, you know, that was a that was a platinum record. And then at that point, people were like, oh, he, you know, had a, a single on a platinum record. So like we could throw him into kind of any songwriting session. There was another guy who um, is no longer with us, a, a wonderful, wonderful person and mentor named John Lind, who was head of A&R at Hollywood Records for a long time. And, and he he really believed in me in a way that like other people didn't and kept, you know, kind of giving me opportunities and knowing that like one of them would land, you know, that one of them was going to work. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really miss him. He's a, he was a great guy, just a great hang. And after Mm -hmm. he retired and, you know, I was kind of moving on more to other things and getting involved in some education and mentoring 
stuff of my own, I would always try to pull him in and interview him in front of, you know, students and things like that. And, and that was, that was really fun. And he was great at that. Always just like really wacky and fun and had like a million <laughs> wild stories. He was an incredible songwriter himself. Um, kind of a legendary songwriter. So yeah, I, I don't know. that was, yeah. that was no. a long answer. I think it shows how, you know, kind of the connect, you know, especially in the music industry, it's, it's who, you know, sometimes rather than, you know, you know, even though what you do is important, but a lot of times it's who can open the doors for you to give you that opportunity. And like you said, have the people who believe in you to back you up and say, no, this guy really can do it. Let's, you know, let's give him another shot at it. And I think, you know, a lot of times, especially what seems like with artists, people don't artists don't get enough chances to really show their their stuff until, you know, especially with at least back in the 2000s, they were, you know, dropping artists like crazy because, you know, they weren't making the money and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, though, that it, it again, like if you're just completely singularly focused, I think that can be a good thing. But I think part of the thing for me was if I had like doubled down and been like, even though I got dropped, like all I'm going to do is yeah. like continue to make blue music, you know, and and I wasn't open to these other possibilities and opportunities. Right. I don't think things would have worked out well mm. for me. So I think it's also about kind of like, you know, being being open to the journey, you know, the, the opportunities mm. that people were giving me weren't necessarily the opportunities right. that I had wanted um, or had wanted, you know, a couple yeah, of years yeah. previously. Yeah. Or initially or right. whatever. But I was like, ah, maybe that could be cool. Yeah, I'll try that. You know, so yeah, uh, I think I think that's part of it, too, is, is being yeah. yeah, being open to things that were maybe outside of your <laughs> field of vision. Initial, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> To go back to, you know, your major label, uh, you know, release, Redhead, last year you celebrated the 20th anniversary of uh, that album and you released it on vinyl, um, which I have a wonderful copy of it. It's, it sounds great. Um, you live stream a conversation with John Fields about the creation uh, of the, uh, the making of the album. And then you went back to Boston and put on a big show. Uh, you know, playing the entire album plus other tunes with a band for the first time in who knows how long. So, um, you know, personally, I was I was really excited about all this stuff. Obviously, I got the record. I, I couldn't make the show in Boston, um, which I was bummed about. But, you know, what was the overall reaction from your fan base, you know, with all of these, you know, events that went on? And did the show kind of like you know, kind of make you think about maybe touring again or putting on more live shows? It did make me think about it, but um, <laughs> it, it mainly made me think that I was not interested in it. And I know that's like, you know, disappointing, uh, I think, for for the people, you know, who enjoyed the show um, or who mm -hmm. wanted to see the show but couldn't see it or 
uh, you know, who obviously live in far-flung places and all that kind of thing. And it's not that I uh, didn't enjoy the experience of doing that show. I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was, it sounds so cheesy, but it, it really was kind of like almost a spiritual kind of an experience um, of just people coming together and um, and it was for me and I think for a lot of people who were there it was not just about the music that was almost more the catalyst for the camaraderie um, it was an opportunity for people to have a a reunion it was was kind of like a family reunion or something like that Mm. you know i i I would say it had that sort of a a feel you know meets like a funeral (laughs) um (laughs) but again this is really hard for people to understand but i do think it's kind of important to understand too it's that i i have a a very very fulfilling life outside of that you know small slice of life and and time and i don't like i i again it was great playing that show but for me it's not necessarily something that like i feel like i need to do all the time to like be fulfilled. There's a lot of other things that I do now that bring me, you know, that kind of sense of fulfillment. And also, you know, for better or for worse, there there isn't a financial reason to do it. And it, right. it's not easy to make a living as a musician, um, you know, uh, straight up. It's just not. And you have to do like when you're kind of at the level that I'm at, um, you can make your judgments about that either way. Um, but I, you know, it requires like working really hard and doing a lot of different things. And, you know, the if there were a big financial incentive to like go out there and tour, then I, I would be up for it. I think. Um, but at this point, it it kind of it takes away from all those other right. things that I also find very fulfilling. <laughs> and I, I assume one of those aspects is, you know, being a dad and that you do not have to rely on being out on the road to, you know, support your family and all that stuff. And you can be home with your son like almost every day. pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I I. Obviously, I'm on this little retreat, you know, right now for three days or whatever. But uh, and, you know, I do make trips to Boston to do recording trips and and other writing trips and things like that. But yes, for the most part, it's like, you know, I mean, I take my son to school every single day. Um, And yeah, and I I like that. I I love having our time together. Um, I mean, I don't think even if there was a financial incentive for me to tour more that it would necessarily take me away so much from my family that Mm. I wouldn't, you know, necessarily be willing to do it because it's not like I'd be going out for a year or something like that. You know, it'd be for like two or three weeks or so or whatever. But um, but yeah, you know, even that is is hard at, at this point to be away from him. 
um, you know, for for that long. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. I and I, I'm still making records for myself. I'm still right. loving doing that. But you don't. But you can put things out by yourself solo. You don't have to. And because of the internet, people can listen to your music you know however and with social media whereas 20 years ago you had to almost tour like at that point people were hearing things through the internet but not nearly as much now where you know even putting out your own music it's the the touring isn't a necessity because you can advertise your music in other ways rather than what it used to be yeah and you know it's Obviously, I could tour solo or as a duo and certainly have done, uh, you know, a fair amount of that um, as well. <clears throat> but um, it's just there. It, it like I, I don't know, like I'm sure there are many people out there, certainly including my manager and my wife, <laughs> um, who would both disagree with this. Um, but I, I just I, I I'm not sure that like live performance was ever the thing that I was the best at. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? That's just kind of my take on it. And, and um, again, I know that there, there are people that would say, Oh, you're just, you know, being self-deprecating or too hard on yourself or, or whatever. But um, which is, and it's nice to hear those things too, but uh, and I'd be one of those people. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> but um, I, you know, it, it takes a lot of prep for yeah. me to like oh practice time and stuff yeah, yeah exactly yeah. for me to feel okay with uh, you know yeah. putting it out there and especially if there's other musicians involved and, and right. I'm kind of dragging them along for that whole journey irregardless of you know whether they right. actually you know need need all that extra work and and that kind of thing and then you know obviously that whole proposition to just do a one-off show is it's kind of daunting. And that's why, yeah. you know, like I was really psyched to do it for like the anniversary and I knew a lot of people would come and they did. Yeah. And it was like this whole like wonderful. It was an event. It was a big event. And, you know, that's you, you did the big event and now it's like, all right, maybe we'll do another one in 10 years or something like that. Yeah, and maybe something like that. I mean, I, I think uh, it's a lot more feasible at this point to do it in Boston Mm -hmm. um as well and um you know the idea has been suggested that maybe we would try to do this once a year or something mm -hmm. like that i think that would probably be a little bit too much for me <laughs> um but you know maybe every couple yeah. of years or something we'll we'll right. work to you know get get something like that yeah. i was born in green bay raised up in va Being a father now, has that changed any aspect of how you view the music industry or music in general? Or is it just like, you know, I'm just a dad now? It's a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, I, I haven't really changed that much, you know, and I'm still just doing my, you know, weird musician li li or just yeah. my weird 
being my weird person <laughs> and doing whatever my regular stuff that I always did. But, but of course, there's the other part of me that's like, oh my god, everything has changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a very good question, and like to talk about that specifically, like how he has changed my view of music and the music industry that it's really interesting because he you know he's kind of like he's only four and a half but he's same age as my son yeah my oldest so yeah so yeah he's he's kind of, but he is like already kind of messing around with writing songs and, mm. and that kind of thing and i don't know his like sort of pure energy and innocence with that has actually led to me you know writing some uh, hooks and things I think that I would not have otherwise mm. written. Um, so that's certainly one change. But I definitely think a lot about, you know, what his future might look like and if he wanted to be a musician and, you know, how I would feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, has he, obviously you say he's writing songs. Does he like it when you play music? Does he like listening to your music or just, I, I guess he likes listening to music in general, but I didn't know if like, you know, if you started to play, if he's like, no, daddy, don't play right now. Or if he enjoys, you know, when you perform or even just play for him. It depends on his mood. <laughs> <laughs> That's the honest truth. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But um, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes I'll be playing and, and he, you know, he'll like, be like, no, don't play, you know, <laughs> um, you know, because I'm disturbing whatever thing it is that yeah. he wants to be involved in. And, and, you know, sometimes he likes it. I mean, certainly when I did the anniversary show in Boston, he was back at home in L.A. watching the live stream mm -hmm. and apparently was just glued to it the whole oh, that's time. Awesome. Um, so, you know, the, the couple of times that that kind of thing has happened he he is he's really liked it and he does like my songs i mean he likes certain songs in particular and and you know requests those um but you know i'm kind of you know i'm it's not like he only wants to hear my songs obviously or only right. to my song but i'm i'm in the mix <laughs> which is which is nice you know it's nice yeah. that he you know i'm i'm in i'm in the same arena yeah with uh you know casper baby pants or yeah I, he was i had him as a guest he's he's awesome i love his music as an adult i love his his, his casper stuff me too yeah i i, I it's it's the absolute best of yeah. the music that is made specifically for children um in in my you know humble opinion but yeah i, I mean at this point i mean this was kind of always true, but but I don't know if this is true for your son or not, but he doesn't really distinguish between like kids music and adult music. No. Nope. Um, but he will still get obsessed with kids songs like mm -hmm. his current one. It's about the planets. There's a song about the planets that he's like nice. that he loves. Um, and, you know, we have Alexa, you know, so he, right. he asks Alexa to yep. play it over and over again. But there's adult songs as well that he is obsessed with and, you know, wants to listen to over and over again. So it's not and I don't think he's like he's not making any judgment call right. on either of those. 
Right. Like he loves that Nirvana song, um, School. Do you know that one? I, I'm not off the top of my head. Well, the chorus goes, no recess, no recess. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, I don't even know if they call it recess at his school, but I guess they must. Because why, why else would he yeah. like that song? Or maybe he just likes that it's called school. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But he, I mean, obviously rocks, you know, yeah. so he likes that aspect of it. But um, no, well, it's, it's interesting you bring up the, the, the idea of him not making any judgments on the music because. Uh, a friend of mine um, uh, recommended that because I was at the time talking to him like, you know, my son, I try to get my son to listen to the Beatles and, you know, because that's what I was really into when I was young. But he wasn't, you know, catching on. He said, put on the show Beat Bugs on Netflix, um, which, you know, basically has very loose stories, of, you know, based around these Beatles, you know, songs. And I, so I started doing that. I did that a while ago. It didn't really catch. But lately he decided he wanted to watch it again. And now has been requesting specific Beatles songs that were on the show. Like Let It Be is one of his favorites. Across the Universe is another one. And two of us, ironically, all from the Let It Be <laughs> album session stuff. But um, it's interesting. Like I'll try, you know, he loves those songs and wants them on repeat. And then I'll try something else, like another Beatles song. He's like, no. No, I don't want put put on. This is not. This was not on Beat Bugs. Put it put on. Well, you know something else. And it's like, but it's nice that he's getting into the Beatles. And if this is his gateway, that's fine. But I didn't know if your son is like that too. You like, oh, you like this Nirvana song? Do you want to listen to this one? And then he just like says, no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, I I try to do as much. So I I consume a lot of music mm-hmm. on VHS. Yes, I know you, um, you're, you've been very much, you know, obsessed with the VHS. I, I, yeah. I'm following your Instagram. It's just boxes upon boxes of VHS. And I, I think it's kind of a cool way. I mean, one one reason why I like to do that is because of my son, because it's it's a way to expose him to music that I like um, in a, you know, in not just an auditory way, you know, there's also visual. So he's seeing the artist or the band and, you know, making some extra connection with the art that way. And also, um, and I listen to cassettes as well, you know, um, and we certainly listen to a lot of streaming. But when you listen to streaming, especially when you're a little kid, it's a very different experience because basically, um, I mean, he never listens to playlists or anything like that. Basically, he requests a specific song, you know, tells Alexa to play the song, the song comes on, and then depending on what service the song is connected to, you know, whether it be Mm -hmm. Amazon or Spotify or whatever, however the, you know, algorithm works, sometimes then it will play other songs like like that are like that song. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just plays the one song and then it's over. But... I like to expose him to a listening experience, you know, that's more like when it was when when we were younger and and I'm not I'm not really into the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is through VHS and and cassette. So then, you know, then it's a different experience because he's he's, you know, watching a whole Queen concert Right. Or like watching all of the Michael Jackson videos <laughs> or or, you know, what what whatever it happens to be. I also really like these compilation ones. Uh, like mm. there's this thing called um, Rock Video Monthly, the 90s. 
and it was all like genre based. So it would be like, um, I don't know, six to like nine music videos all in a particular genre, all from that month. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I collect those. And so then they're a little bit more varied. And, and but he he is very interested in it. He'll be like uh, he'll ask me what the name of the song is. And if it's a compilation video, you know, he'll ask me, you know, who who does this song and stuff like that. And then he'll, you know, sometimes he remembers to be like, oh, this is, you know, so this is Queen or, um, you know, this is Taylor Dane. He doesn't remember Taylor Dane, but I'm just using that as an example. (laughs) She's on one of the compilations that I have. Um, So, yeah. And obviously when we're listening to a cassette but but it's interesting because the way he like thinks about it is different like if we're listening to like a cassette in particular because obviously if he sees the visual and it's the same like he can usually tell it's the same person unless you know they're like really made up or playing a character Mm -hmm. in a different video or something like that but obviously if I put on a cassette it's funny because like the next song will come on and he'll be like who does this one Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's yeah. I'm like, it's the same guy as <laughs> as the last yeah. song. Yeah, it's still Billy Joel, and it'll be <laughs> Billy Joel the whole time. The rest of the time. <laughs> right, right. But to him, that's like that's like oh, yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. I I try. We do the same thing, kind of, but we uh, with vinyl. I, I'll try to throw on a record and just like play it. And he he usually doesn't like you know uh pay attention half the time of it but like sometimes he'll be like can you play that again i'm like i can but i need it takes it's not just like pressing a button i gotta go back put it on the needle and stuff but uh it's interesting with the visualization that you mentioned uh because he used to be obsessed with and kind of still of the with the movie Encanto, and he got into really the the instrumental stuff and he would then be like oh this it's the you know this is the part of the movie that this happens and this happens can you play like the when it this happens and kind of stuff so it's it's interesting that you bring that up because i see it in my son in a different way but like the how the visualization kind of connects them to the music and which makes sense at this stage of their life totally um and and i think actually it's kind of like true for everybody yeah. But it's just, you know, it's sort of more pure in kids or whatever. But people always obviously make a deeper connection. Right. There's like visuals attached. That's why they um, have music videos. Exactly. Um, speaking of Encanto, I don't know if you know or not, but like I, I worked with um, worked with this uh, media. Um, the Honest Trailers. Yeah, yeah. To do these uh, like Encanto parodies. So if you... <laughs> If you have, I will check it if out. If you haven't checked those out yet, just look up Honest Encanto. Yeah. And uh, Encanto, I should say. And um, yeah. it was a really fun project. <laughs> and I, I think especially parents who have been subjected to <laughs> listening to those songs over and over again, like the one of the songs in particular, like specifically addresses that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'll, I'll have to check it out. I did hear the Jurassic Park one that you did, so which was great. You know, you'd mentioned uh, about Casper Baby Pants being like, you know, the ultimate children's music. You did put out a children's album in 2020 uh, called uh, Tur- is it Rabbit and Tur- Bunny, uh, Rabbit and Turtle, right? The, the Turtle and the Bunny. The turtle and the bunny. Sorry. Um, All good. You know, how did that project happen? And what did you learn about, you know, making music specifically for kids during that uh, production? Um, 
So that was actually a project that was started 10 years earlier. Oh, wow. Um, actually, in 2010, long before my son was even uh, a thought. I, th- I think mm-hmm. at that at that time, I actually thought that I was probably never going to have kids. Um, so, but um, I, I got an opportunity to work on some kids music with a wonderful artist named Jasmine Ash, who's my partner in the project, and this absolutely legendary um, songwriter, but multimedia um uh what would you call her she's like a, a just a maverick mm. and absolutely just incredibly creative incredibly interesting weird funny cool person named Allie Willis who's who's also no longer with us mm. so i mean she was a a massive songwriter wrote um, Boogie Wonderland and September um, for um, Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, She wrote Neutron Dance by the Pointer Sisters. Um, She wrote... Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. She wrote... um, I mean, the the list goes on and on and on. You you could look her up, but it's like cut after cut after cut. Um, But she also um, wrote the songs for The Color Purple, the musical... Um, yeah, she's like, I think she might be an EGOT winner or, you know, or certainly certainly close, close. um, but she also was the world's foremost expert on kitsch and had the largest collection of kitsch in the world. Wow. So large that she would lend out huge portions of her collection to museums, (laughs) um, you know, for certain kinds of exhibits and that kind of thing. I mean, just 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 an amazing, amazing person collector, also a visual artist. And uh, and she was an Internet visionary. Some people actually, Mm. um, you know, this is not widely um, (laughs) celebrated, but. people who know her and know kind of about her legacy and stuff like that, she actually had the very first social media. uh, Wow. Like she (laughs) invented social media. (laughs) People don't even know that. And it was, she invented it. I mean, it was way early internet, like a decade before. Like pre-prodigy? Like before, like, was this like... With you know, I remember Prodigy, where you would you know you could dial up and kind of like message each other and stuff like that. I didn't know, or is it more towards like the '90s pre AOL and everything like that? Exactly, um, yeah. and and it was it was basically a a, a place for artists uh, because she was oh, wow. she was an artist, and yeah. it was it was a place for like artists to meet and talk. I don't know a lot about it to be totally honest, but um she just was a weird and wild and wonderful person and and she really only worked on the project a a tiny little bit Mm -hmm. but that that spark you know um kind of led to jasmine and i having a lot of you know fun ideas and um yeah and then we basically the pandemic hit (laughs) and uh my as I call her, my long-suffering manager, Stacy Peck, um, she she was like, you know, would you ever think about picking this project back up again? You know, you have a little bit more free time now. 
And I was like, yeah, absolutely. If Jasmine is into it, absolutely. Um, and so we did. You know, we we took a couple of other songs um, that I had written over the years that I thought might fit and finished those up to kind of, you know, complete the project and bring it together. I mean, my big goal for really, I was already aware of Casper Baby Pants at that mm. point. And, right. But I really wanted to make a record that kind of like spoke to... Um, you know, me and my sensibilities, but that had messages that were, um, would be relatable, you know, to kids. So a, a lot of those songs, to be honest, are, are just, um, you know, adult songs mm -hmm. with uh, more kind of relatable, um, kid lyrics. And some of them are not, you know, certainly some of the songs and productions, um, skew more towards the the I don't know silly and mm -hmm. and fun aspect, which which I, I think is a really is it, it's kind of one of the coolest aspects of making children's music is that you get to be way more silly, right? <laughs> than well, you I mean, the, can like kind of in any other kind of music, and it's like so it's like you you have this freedom to be as silly as you want to be. Right. Um, I mean, the title track itself is like, isn't it? It's just like they're the two characters going back and forth <laughs> yeah. with each other. I like, mean, the, the entire lyric is the turtle and the bunny. Yeah. And the entire story of the tortoise and the hare is yeah. told through music only with that one lyric. <laughs> so, you know, it's like the turtle yeah but then as it goes along it's like the turtle yeah. and the bunny you know like yeah. as the you know so it's like but again it's like you know you couldn't you, you could never do that in a pop song right um and that's that's where the like freedom and and the fun i think of writing music for a younger audience comes the turtle and the bunny the turtle and the bunny. 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 Turtle. Bunny, 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 bunny. Do you think it's more? Do you think it's harder to do, or do you think, um, you know, I, I don't know if it, you feel like it's harder to do because it's kind of almost niche in some way, or do you feel like good music is good music regardless? I, I think it's hard to do well. Um, and I'm not saying that we necessarily did it well, um, but just being exposed to a lot of music made for kids, you know, since my son was born, I, I can say that um, a lot of it I, I, I don't think is very good. Mm -hmm. Um, whether or not it's connecting with my son, I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, like, and actually, especially when he likes the song, if I, <laughs> I don't think it's good, then I'm like, I'm like, ah, this is, but not to keep going back to Casper baby pants, but like That's when right. it is done well, you're like, oh, like, yeah, it's like it, uh, it, it, cause it's, it's all kind of a fine line, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, between just, because I think a lot of people think, oh, it's just simple and silly yeah. and dumb. Yeah. 
And it is, but doing that in such a way that's also like engaging and clever and, uh, you know, hooky, whatever. And um, I don't know. There's this one guy who my son loves and it's like the ultimate in like sophomoric idiocy <laughs> and his favorite song that he likes by this I, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now but his favorite song you can just look it up on streaming or whatever it's called Poop Banana oh I think it, it might you said I you said Poop Banana Poop Banana yeah and I th okay it's not the same guy but there was uh my last guest uh Buzzy Cohen he would mention someone else that he was just like, don't look it up. It's just like poop songs like the entire time. So it might be the same person or someone similar, but he's like, do not look this person up and never play for your kid kind of deal. But, you know, it's weird. Like I, a lot of this guy's stuff, I mean, it's just, obviously it's just like, it's unbelievably dumb, <laughs> but I kind of like it too. It's like, it's <laughs> so dumb. Like I, I sort of like, can get down with it and like <laughs> applaud it in like a certain kind of way. So I, I feel like that like kind of encapsulates my point. Yeah. It's like if I tried to make poop banana, nobody would listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow this guy like captured exactly the idiocy of poop banana and <laughs> my son absolutely loves it. And like, I mean, I don't want to listen to it nine times in a row right. I'll listen to it once and have a chuckle <laughs> at the end of every episode we like to ask or I like to ask my guests you know what they've been listening to lately. Um, so who are three artists or songs that you've really been enjoying lately and would like to, you know, put out there? I've been listening to like a, a lot of soundtrack stuff <laughs> because, you know, I'm kind of working, yeah, work. on, working on soundtracks and um, just going back and like revisiting things that I loved from, you know, when I was a kid and uh, I don't know, collecting uh, playlists of of that kind of stuff. Um, I've been on a bit of a Peter Gabriel kick, mm. and there's this great record that came out after the Us record mm. on Peter Gabriel's label, and it's called Plus from Us. And he literally just called it that so that more people would buy the record. <laughs> yeah. But like, it doesn't really have anything to, it's just all, it's just a, a compilation of all these wonderful, like international artists. And I think oh, some wow. of them, like he, they recorded, you know, at his studio or, or, and I think they're all on his label, which I think it's called real, real world is his label. Mm. Um, but anyway, the, the first track on that record is called Obiero, and the artist is Ayab Ogada. And um, anyway, I kind of rediscovered that record and that song recently. And I, I, the whole record is great, but that song in particular is like super cool. <laughs> Mm. 
I got into, I want to make sure I get this right. There was these records um, that Peter Gabriel did. I think it was called Scratch My Back, like, and I'll scratch yours, something like Hmm. that. Have you ever heard of the? I mean, this was no. This was a few years ago. Um, yeah. Oh wow, 2010. That that was longer ago than I thought it was. Um, so it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful concept, and and so it's two records, and on one record, Peter Gabriel covers all of his favorite songs. And on the other record, it's all other artists covering Peter Gabriel songs. Oh, wow. That's cool. So I've been just kind of like on a Peter Gabriel rabbit hole in general Mm -hmm. uh, lately. But the but the Scratch My Back record, the one where he's he's covering other people is unbelievable. And there are these orchestral arrangements on all the songs. It's 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 mostly just him and orchestral arrangements. And they're just unbelievably gorgeous and um one of the songs w- was actually a pretty big hit it was it was his cover of of heroes mm. um but my favorite track on that record is his cover of the boy in the bubble by paul simon paul simon from the graceland record which which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite records of all time and and not mm. not covered it's not like an oft covered album by any means um so and then the fact that peter gabriel would cover the boy in the bubble which was like (laughs) not a big single off of that record it was a huge record so like you know this cover it is elegiac and nothing nothing like the original Hmm. Even though, you know, all the harmony and melody and everything is is basically the same, it's it's slowed way down with this sparse but like growing lush orchestral arrangement and basically it highlights what an incredible song it is and in particular how incredible and timeless the lyric is. And so I would anybody who has not heard that I would definitely highly highly recommend that that's that's been on my like regular list of just kind of listening to that all the time um uh, you know kind of over and over again lately It was a slow day and the sun was beating on the soldiers by the side of the road There was a bright light a shattering of shop windows the bomb in the baby carriage was wild to the radio um and then uh just to just kind of like keeping on that tip i had forgotten that peter gabriel did a song for the movie babe <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that. And it's called That'll Do, 
which oh wow the big the big phrase yeah. in that yeah. you know in the catch that'll do pig that movie was that'll do pig and but it's amazing it's so good it may not seem like very much right now but it'll do it'll do when you find yourself in the middle of a storm and you're tired and cold and wet Looking for a place that's cozy and warm You make it if you never forget <laughs> like, I, you know, the song is so good. It's like Peter Gabriel. It's like, even if he like is writing a song called That'll Do Pig, you know, I, he doesn't say pig. But, um, right. you know, it's he he just I don't know. And I, 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 I just got I went actually went to um a VHS swap uh, Sunday before last um, out on the east side. And I, I um, it, it was less of a swap than I thought it was, but I, you know, I, I did like a one or two swaps, but yeah. Um, but I, I ended up buying um, Peter Gabriel live. Oh, uh, oh right, famous right, yeah. Peter Gabriel yeah. live, uh, you know, video album or whatever. Uh, blanking on the name of it. But um and so kind of just and it, it's it was the tour with uh you know Manu Kache on on drums mm. and Tony Levin on bass and um uh what's her name uh, where have all the cowboys gone um uh Paula Cole is is the fe- Paula Cole is the the featured uh you know background vocalist um and man it's it's just mind-bogglingly good, and and even even at today's level, the the production value, and mm. the staging, and the lighting, and everything is just bananas, totally bananas. So I don't know. There, there's a few random <laughs> things. Uh, you know, you, you'll you'll notice that there's like no new music in there. You you know who you know who I really like a lot who's new and and this may be controversial and I know a lot of people probably hate him but I love Oliver Tree. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of him. I don't know him that well, but I've heard the name. Um, and I obviously love all his like antics and his like social media, you know, presence and video content. Oh, all yes, that. Yes, love yes. it. But I also like actually really like his music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's awesome. <laughs> so there's a weird, you know, new artist that I'm that I'm into. That's I, I think is very divisive. Probably, <laughs> probably a lot of people will be like, "Ooh, why do you like him?" <laughs> hey, you like what you like, so I think he's really unique, and I appreciate that. I think has an incredibly unique point of view that stretches all the way from like the music to his freaking haircut. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and I, I don't know. I just, I appreciate that. Thanks, Blue, so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. Um, and, you know, thanks for coming on. 
My pleasure. I, I hope that you edit this up. Um, actually, um, my wife was like, oh, I want to listen to the podcast. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's um, pre-taped. Um, and, and she's like, oh, that's good, because they're going to need to edit you. <laughs> Well, I do all the editing, so I'll you know I'll make sure to uh, to send you this before it goes live. And if you want your wife to listen to it and see if there's anything she thinks needs to be cut, you know, uh, definitely you know let me know. Absolutely, and and definitely leave that part in, um, <laughs> you, and maybe like cut that out and put it at the beginning, so that people know you know what's going down that this yeah. is a, you know a long rambly interview that you have expertly cut down to just the most salacious <laughs> bits will do so thanks again blue thank you my pleasure have a great one Thanks for listening to this episode, and special thanks again to Blue for coming on to the show. To find out more about his writing and producing credits and links to his solo work, you can go to his website, bluetopia.com. That's spelled B-L-E-U-T-O-P-I-A.com. If you want to follow Blue on social media, he's on Twitter and Instagram, at Bluetopia, same spelling as before, B-L-E-U-T-O-P-I-A. And he is also active on Facebook by searching, you guessed it, Bluetopia. You can find Blue's solo music on all the major streaming services. And while you're there, you should check out a few of his side projects, including LEO, an ELO-inspired group, and Loud Lion, a hair metal-inspired group. Unfortunately, the album from his power pop trio, The Major Labels, which included Mike Viola and Ducky Carlisle, is not streaming anywhere, but you can find some tracks on YouTube. I highly suggest checking out all of Blue's music, especially the song Sayonara from his album Redhead Record Club, because that was the song that I got to play drums on, which I mentioned at the top of the show. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and would love for you to subscribe to the show if you enjoyed what you heard. If you like or even love the podcast, go ahead and give us an honest review. Or, you know, just tell a friend about us. Both things help us out. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at DadRocksPod as well as on Facebook by just searching up Dad Rocks Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, guest suggestions, or show ideas, or just want to give a shout, you can send an email to dadrockspod at gmail.com. If you want to check out the music you've heard on this episode in full, there's a Spotify playlist which should be linked in the podcast description. Once again, thanks for listening today, and remember, dads, you rock.